Welcome to Living Free Today, a ministry of Cornerstone Fellowship in San Lorenzo, California. These podcasts are the weekly sermons of Dr. Michael L. Wilson. Please open your Bibles to the book of Philippians chapter 1. We shall be looking at verses 29 and 30. As a way of summarizing what has happened so far in chapter 1, Paul is in prison and he tells the Christians at Philippi that that's good because more people are getting saved than if he was out of prison. So he has learned to look at his situation through the lens of the gospel. He says that he knows he will be delivered one way or the other. If he is released from prison, it will be good for the church at Philippi. If he dies in prison, it'll be great for him. And he tells the church how to act And that is to stand, to stand strong in their faith. He then gives an understanding or a reason for how you can stand. He says, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe. So we know that we are saved by grace. We are saved by grace, not of works, therefore we can't boast about our salvation. We are saved by grace through faith. There is no works involved, and Paul says it correctly, of course, by saying that it's granted to us. God is the first mover in our salvation. It is not our idea to be saved. We do not convince God to save us. God is the first mover and gives us the grace to believe. But then Paul continues and says, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. And this is, you know, we stop and we go, no, no, no. Let's go over to chapter 2. Chapter 2 is fun. Let's look at chapter 2. What he is saying in the proper sentence structure is, You are saved by grace. It is a gift of God. Okay? You suffer by grace. It is a gift of God. And that is a tough one to grasp. That is a tough one to understand. And we're going to look at that. And we're going to look at what suffering is and what suffering means. If you look through the history of the world and the history of religious and philosophical thought. Every writer who wrote about life and how life should be and the history of the world always dealt with suffering. Suffering is a universal phenomenon. You say, well, when did it begin? Well, it began in the Garden of Eden, okay? Adam and Eve are clicking along, doing great, naming the animals, eating the fruit, doing all the great stuff. They eat the wrong fruit. They willfully disobey, and God curses the woman and curses the man 
And the word that is throughout these cursings is labor, and labor is translated as suffering, as hard labor, as painful labor. And so Adam and Eve and their kids and then the flood and Noah and their kids, on and on and on, everybody has is uncomfortable, has pain, has difficulty, and will, in many ways, suffer. Now, suffering is in the eye of the beholder. Okay, I can go through something that you go, wow, how does he even go through that? And you can go through something, and I can be marveled that you can even go through that. And you might not call it suffering, and I might not call it suffering, but suffering does come to every person. And I cannot say to you, wow, you must be suffering. You must decide that for yourself, and you must understand what that is for yourself, because there are easy things that we all go through. But if you look at the history of how people have written about suffering, it has always been seen as a benefit. It has always been seen as something that we should not try to avoid. If you look at Charles Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon was a Baptist preacher in England he was in constant pain. He had back problems. And so he wrote a lot about his suffering. And he said, I am certain that I never did grow in grace one half so much as anywhere, anywhere as I have upon the bed of pain. Most of the grand truths of God have to be learned by trouble they must be burned into us with the hot iron of affliction. Otherwise, we shall not truly receive them. Men will never become great in theology unless they become great in suffering. There is no learning sympathy except by suffering. It cannot be studied from a book. It must be written on the heart. So a great theologian... He is called the Prince of Preachers. His sermons are studied in every Protestant seminary. And he said he learned the most while he was in pain through suffering. And if you look at other writings, you have uh, Siddhartha Gautama, is the guy who invented Buddhism. And he based all of Buddhism on the truth that all is suffering, or all existence is suffering. And so he invented a system in which you live a very calm life trying to avoid suffering. Suffering is everywhere, and Paul says that it comes by grace, that it is a gift of God. And so when we look at this, we have to ask a couple questions. We have to ask, why? Why is God doing this to us? Why can't we be saved and just be happy-go-lucky? Well, one reason is, and it's kind of our fault for wanting this, we want to be Christ-like. 
We want to be like Christ. Many of us, I do, pray that I will be more like Christ every day. The sanctification process of being like Christ. And what is Christ's nickname? It is the suffering servant. Christ suffered, and he suffered a lot, especially at the end of his life. And the New Testament teaching is, if you want to get into the program of being Christ-like, you have to collect the whole package. You have to suffer like Christ suffered. You have to suffer in such a way that you become like him in his suffering. And so when Paul is talking about being saved by grace, it actually is gracious to have us participate in Christ's suffering. Okay? Paul gives a little bit of explanation about the type of suffering in verse 30. He says, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. And so he is giving a little bit of sense saying, you people in Philippi, if you believe in Christ and you stand firm in your faith, there will be government forces, Roman forces, who will come and try to shut you down. And they may put you in prison. They may uh, destroy where you worship. They may take your property. And ultimately, they may kill you. And when you get to Nero being the emperor of Rome, he liked to make an example of Christians. The Roman government was going bankrupt by the time that Nero was in power. And he had the good political sense, we wouldn't like it, but he called it good political sense, to find a group and blame them. And we see it today. Politicians are always blaming this group or that group. Well, Nero, being the emperor, wanted to blame the Christians for the economic problems of Rome and so to publicly execute Christians, and he did all sorts of things. You know, the famous thing he did was he dipped them in wax and lit them on fire to light the palace. And these various, he was very public in his hatred for Christians. And so you would call that suffering. I would call that suffering. If you were arrested by the government and dipped in wax, I would say that's suffering, sure. And you would say it if it happened to me. And so in that regard, Paul is giving an extreme example, if you will, of the government coming against Christians. And I've heard people say, well, that could never happen today. That the government could never come against Christians. Well, there's a baker in Colorado who would disagree with you who ever since two gay men walked into his bakery years ago, his life was over. He became a pawn in the political fight between 
right and wrong between the Constitution and a government that loves sin. And if a government loves sin, we stand against sin, they will stand against us. And we might suffer at the hands of the government. There's been difficulties in Alameda County because there have been people in Alameda County who have felt that churches are a blight, a tax blight on, on the county. And so ever since 2010, this church and other churches have been fighting the government because they want to tax us out of existence. Uh, after 12 years, in about 2022, their attitude kind of changed. And I believe the people who are behind this have retired or moved on, things seem kind of calmer. Uh, I pray that that will continue and that there will not be another shoe to drop. But let's say that you are not going against the government, that you don't live in one of the 134 countries where it is illegal to own a Bible, where if you are found in public with a Bible in these countries, they will imprison you or execute you in the street. Places like Iran, for example, if you are, are seen with any sort of Christian anything in public, they just shoot you in the street and, you know, work from there. And so there are countries in which God is saving people. The government cannot keep God from saving people. He is saving people, and they are against them as a state government and killing them or imprisoning them. Or in China, they put you in re-education camps and try to brainwash you from not being a Christian anymore. And so the idea that it is different than what Paul is going through, I think there are enclaves of freedom but the world as a whole tends to hate Christians and will do anything they can to shut us up. And if we look at what they did to Jesus, I think that was their mentality, that if we only kill him, that will shut him up. But of course, Christianity took off like wildfire and Christi there are Christians in every country, in every language group, in every place and nation in America. And God is still saving people in places where they are certainly going to suffer for their faith. Where they certainly are going to be challenged. And the command to stand when you're up against the magistrates or the military of a country and they tell you to renounce Christianity, will you stand? Will you stand firm and take the consequences even though there is suffering involved there? And that is something that every Christian needs to understand. I think it becomes very they have a very quick understanding when kids grow up in an Iranian home and the parents are Christians 
and they lead the child to Christ and they understand that it's a life and death decision that they are going through. And this is clearly suffering and something that we can pray for because as more people are, uh, there, things have come out of Iran where we understand that as more people are getting saved and going to prison or being executed, that is causing more people to be saved. And it seems to be growing in such a way that if we were just to send a missionary, that probably wouldn't work as well. And so we look at that and say, well, if we look at it through the lens of the gospel, where there are Christians in China who have been put into concentration camps and are working, building phones and things, sitting next to a Muslim, they have opportunities to witness, and people are getting saved in concentration camps and re-education camps where you cannot send a missionary. And you look at that and you say, I wouldn't do it that way, but that's how God is doing it. God is putting people into difficult, stressful, suffering situations, and people are seeing that and they're saying, I want that. I want what you have. I want the peace that you have in suffering. And so Paul talking about a conflict with the government is something that is happening today, even though we may not see it in our homes or on our news. It is happening in the majority of the world. Oddly, Christianity, there are more Christians than any other religion. And yet it is Christianity that the world hates. So the more they hate us, the more we seem to grow. And we do it in suffering. And suffering in conflict with the government. There is other kinds of suffering. And there is suffering that is that is personal, if you will. There are things that God brings each of us through to, to help us grow. And I think when we look at a situation, we can, we can pick whatever thing we want to call suffering. Let's say the traffic is bad on the freeway. And you say, well, that's I'm suffering for Christ because it's taking a long time to go to church. Okay? I won't say you're not, but it doesn't necessarily compare to Chinese Christians. But we all have suffering in our lives. And how do we take it? How do we mold it? How do we move it to be the teacher that Charles Spurgeon says that it is, the giver of wisdom that Charles Spurgeon says that it is. There's a couple things to look at in this. One, if a Christian suffers, there is an opportunity for God to grow us, for God to mold us, for God to strengthen our minds in this suffering. There is an opportunity for that. 
if an unsaved person suffers, and they do, everybody does, it isn't just the Christians, it's everybody suffers, then for them it is suffering for suffering's sake. One way of looking at it, and this is kind of an interpretation of suffering in the Bible, is that God gives and allows suffering for everybody. For us, it is to purify and sanctify us. For the unsaved, it is to punish them for their sin. So two different people can have the same major loss, can have the same major pain, can have the same major anything. And a Christian has the opportunity, while they're in it, to focus on God, to focus on Christ and what he's doing, and to grow in it while the unsaved do not have that opportunity. So how does a Christian do that? How does a Christian grow in that way? If you look at your life, you have expectations. You have desires. We all want a calm, comfortable, peaceful life. Okay? If you were to be offered that, you would say, yes, I'll take that. I will take a calm, peaceful, comfortable life where my expectations are met, where there is very little or no pain, things of this nature. Everybody has the ability to worship their own expectations, to say that my desire for comfort my desire for pleasure, my desire for having a calm life is the most important thing such that we will work for and work toward that attitude, that style of living to the exclusion of all else. And some people today do it through the accumulation of wealth. Some people do it through the accumulation of friends. All this to, you know, you move to a nice, calm, rural area where there's no phones ringing or anything and believe that will bring you peace. If we look at the news, if we look at uh, all that is going on, everybody is promoting mindfulness, where you calm your mind, where you focus your mind on nothing, and in doing so, that calms down your emotions and your anxiety and your runaway mind, and in doing so, you have peace, they say, and you have comfort, and people are chasing after this. But if peace and comfort and pleasure become your goal, then it's easy for them to become your God. Instead of in your suffering, okay? Wake up, have a headache, okay? Let's pretend. You wake up and you have a headache. Your first thought is, oh, I hate this headache. Your first thought is, oh, I hate this, or I don't like this, or I'm going to be grumpy because I did not plan on waking up with a headache and it doesn't fit with my expectations. Or you can say, you wake up with a headache, 
You can turn that headache over to God. You can say, God, I got a headache. Now it's yours. Lead me, guide me, sanctify me, do whatever purpose this headache has. And in that way, you are in fact suffering for the sake of Jesus Christ. You are turning your suffering, even though you don't know why. There's, there's medical reasons why you wake up with a headache, okay? And the medicine, the, the, the universe does not say, I'm giving you this headache because you're a Christian, okay? Everybody gets headaches. Everybody has aches and pains. Everybody has bad days. But if you take your difficulty, your trouble, your problem, your pain, and spiritually lay it at the foot of the cross, give it to God, and say, however you're going to use this, however you're going to do something with this, may I be sanctified. May I walk closer to you in this difficult situation. Now, when you're saying, I want to walk closer to Christ, you're walking closer to the suffering servant, your suffering now has a purpose. It is to make you Christ-like. It is to sanctify you. And you say, I cannot for the life of me figure out how a headache sanctifies me. I can't either. The Bible has no words on how random pain sanctifies us. But suffering for Christ's sake, suffering given to Christ, suffering that is focused on Christ and not the suffering is always a benefit. Now, you can ask God, when you get there, why did you make it that pain sanctifies me? And he may explain it. He doesn't explain it in the Bible. He doesn't say how it works. Nobody says how it works. But every book of the Bible says it does work. That if I am suffering, pain, loss, trauma, catastrophe, anything major or something small, burnt my tongue on coffee, okay? Something that would be considered insignificant. If our thought is always not my comfort, not my pleasure, not my stability, but my Christ-likeness, I can turn everything that hurts over to God. And it doesn't have to be a physical hurt. It can be a mental hurt. It can be a heart hurt, an emotional hurt. I can turn it all over to Christ and say, as Paul does, take this thing that I hate and use it to sanctify me. Use it to make me holy. Use it to make me closer to Christ. And he will. 
That is a promise of Scripture. Now, if you're looking at it over here, okay, you're having a pretty good day so far, and you're looking at possibly a painful or difficult thing in the future. You're not going to relish it because it's going to make you sanctified, but you can start early. You can pray at the beginning of your day. You can pray in the middle of your day. You can pray at the end of your day that whatever traumas, difficulties, pains, problems that come to you, God will use it to sanctify you. God will use it to make you more Christ-like. And as you suffer for Christ, the plan is, and we live in a different world than the New Testament world, but the plan in the New Testament is, you are suffering and your faith is growing. You are suffering and your belief in God and His work through Christ is growing. And people will see that and they will say, I want that. They don't want your suffering, but they want your steadfastness. They want your ability to stand in anything. And there's all sorts of chaotic things going out there. There's people losing their jobs and losing their homes and you know having a sickness and having families being torn apart and all these things are happening and as strong Christians say well I can't do that I'm going to go to church and pray with my people and people see that and they say that is stability and today, people, if you offer them stability, if you offer them foundational truth that doesn't change, they're going to want that because pleasure is fleeting, comfort is fleeting, fame is fleeting. Number one thing, you ask kids today what they want, they want to be famous, okay? That's dumb. You do not want to be famous, but they want to be famous, and that's fleeting because you don't remember the famous people from, you know, last year or whatever. Fame comes and goes, but foundational truth remains generation to generation. Stability remains from generation to generation. And people who have been disappointed by the world need that sort of truth. And so, as you're going through life, as I'm going through life, I have prayed to be more Christ-like, to be in the center of God's will. I pray that for myself. I pray that I will, throughout the day, put Christ first and be a shining light for Him. And so, what did, how did God do that to me? What did God say you need? In July of 2021, a homeless man broke into the church, cornered me in my office, and dislocated my jaw. Okay, hit me in the head, broke my nose, cheekbone, black eye, all that kind of stuff. And I found out something about dentistry, and that is when you are in your 60s, and your jaw is dislocated, 
it is never going to be fixed. Okay? There is nothing they can do to... Re the, the ligaments have been stretched too far when my jaw went way over here when he hit me. And there's... And, and my jaw just said, well, okay, that's the way you are. And so... My jaw doesn't line up, okay, all the time. And so I notice it when I eat. I notice it when I talk. As I am talking, this side of my jaw is beginning to ache, okay? That is what God has brought me into. That is what God has said, this is what I am going to give you to sanctify you. Okay? And you say, well, how in the world does that work? I don't know. Okay? But I have, at first I was upset. You know, guy breaks in, hits me, gets arrested by the police. I want the book thrown at him. Now I'm praying for his salvation. I'm praying for his salvation by name. I know his name. And I'm praying that he will get saved and in his incarceration that he may also bring people to Christ. That can't be the only thing I say to God, but God says, wait and see, okay? God has given me a jaw that hurts, and I believe, I believe that it is for his glory and that it is a gift from God, okay? My back has been hurting off and on, Two weeks ago, I had x-rays, and they said that I have degenerative arthritis in my lower neck and upper back. Okay? Nothing they can do about it. You cannot fix degenerating vertebrae, okay? Which is what's happening. And it will get more and more painful, they say. Uh, in two weeks, I do have physical therapy, and they're actually going to try acupuncture and see what that does. And so there is treatment that is being done, but the condition will get worse until the end. And so I have jaw pain, I have neck pain, I have back pain. That is what God has given me as a gift of grace to sanctify myself. Now, there's a promise in Scripture. In fact, every time heaven is talked about, the promise is stated. No pain in heaven. Okay? No pain in heaven is mentioned three times more than no death. Okay? There's no death in heaven. There's no pain in heaven. I believe that's the case because in Bible times... Everybody was in pain. Yeah, today, everybody's in pain. Okay? Pain is going to go away. I will, along with you, walk the streets of heaven, and my jaw will be perfectly fixed. My back will be perfectly glorified and regenerated, and I will be in no pain. But between today and then, God has said, you shall be in pain. And you shall be in pain every day of your life until you are done. And I look at that and I say, and I have said this in prayers, 
I give my pain over to God. I give it over to Jesus Christ. And I don't know how. I I wouldn't do it this way. I don't know how this works. But the theory is, and Scripture promises it, if I am in pain and I turn it over to Christ, I am in pain for the sake of Christ, it will be good and wonderful and great for me until I am glorified. And none of us has any pain. But until then, that is what God, the path that God has taken me down. And my prayer, and you can pray this for me, that in my suffering, God is glorified, Christ is lifted up, and I am sanctified and made more Christ-like. Let us pray. Lord God Almighty, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the pains and the traumas and the difficulties of life. And I pray that we would focus on not our pain, but on you. And I pray that as we focus on you, you will continue to sanctify us and to bring us to the ultimate glory where everything is fixed and there is no pain. Lord, we praise you for this and ask your blessing on the remainder of the day. We ask this through the blood of Christ. Amen. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 180 Llewellyn Boulevard, San Lorenzo, California. Our Sunday morning service is at 1045 a.m. Our website is livingfreetoday.org and our phone number is 510-278-2622. May God continue to bless you as you serve your King. God bless.